Hello and welcome into the Calvary Cast, episode 63, and we are uh, doing this intro the right way with me doing my job. And it is going much smoother already. Works, yeah, we, we have complementary roles in this, right. this way, so good. how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's kind of rainy and dreary. It and is. It's chilly nice in here. Nice fall day. We're drinking some coffee. Some Graham coffee. Some Graham coffee. You made yourself at home. Brought That's right. From in a mason jar. I brought <laughs> very Actually, hip. Yeah. Very hip and nice. So cool. I don't have anything else to banter about. Alrighty. Does the music eventually end? I think I ask yeah, this it every does. week. Okay. You ask this every week, <clears throat> and it will eventually end. And it is going to end in just a minute here. All right. But great. Just be patient. We can talk over it. Like it'll be quieter in the. Oh, will it? Okay. Yeah. It's so not. So they'll bar- barely hear the. Correct, yep. Okay. And then it's gone. There it is. Wow. Okay. Just like and that. I guess I'm amazed each time, too, at how quickly it cuts off. It just goes, <laughs> rink. There's no, like, warning. Oh, we're so. like, uh, yeah. Anyway, so what are we doing today? <clears throat> well, I thought it necessary to kind of give a follow-up podcast to my message from Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I better explain what the message from Sunday was. Just in case somebody wasn't here. And if you weren't here... Shame on you. Yeah. So I want to do a couple things. I want to do like, I want to uh, elaborate a little bit in some more specifics on what I was talking about, mm-hmm. but also um, make sure we're heard clearly on this and that yeah. kind of thing. So uh, basically, of course, we're preaching through Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, well, we're preaching through all of Matthew. And I've come to Matthew 24 and 25, which is, this was the passage I was really in angst to approach which is funny because do you remember before before we did Matthew we were having a conversation about you were thinking about just preaching through the Olivet Discourse after the Sermon on the Mount yeah are you glad you didn't do that I am glad I didn't do that because I think the study through Matthew has been fruitful yeah for me for you for the church Mm -hmm. and I um, I'm glad we didn't do it that way yeah I think that was the Lord's leading because right before that I, I had preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and right. that's where that came from. Right. And then I was going to do the Olivet Discourse. And then there was another, I think there was something else in there because I was doing, maybe I was doing eschatology at the time for... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. We were in uh, systematic theology. Yeah, and so maybe that was part maybe of it. Maybe that too, was part of it. Yeah. It, uh, it worked out really to go through this massive book of the Bible, mm-hmm. broader overviews, mm-hmm. two weeks usually mm-hmm. tops on a passage, sometimes just one. A lot of the, lot of the chapters, just one week. Helping people be better readers of Matthew's gospel, including ourselves, and then um, so just kind of kind of going through that. But we've come to Matthew twenty four, which I've been I I hate to use the word dreading, but there right. is a way in which I was because yeah. um, it th- there is so there are so many different interpretations mm-hmm. of that text, mm-hmm. and um. They're they're varied and you know it's like how how to approach it basically you know where where are we going to land on this knowing that our church is on doctrine a, a premillennialist church right um, though in our doctrinal statement we no longer have the word dispensational took mm-hmm. that out a number of years mm-hmm. ago and took out the official pre tribulational rapture mm-hmm. aspect of it. Still talk about a tribulation period in our doctrinal statements on that. So we're we're moderately dispensational mm-hmm. in these things. And knowing the church has been that way, 
Well, historically, his, less. We I don't know if you'd use the term moderately, like more staunchly okay, dispensational. Yes, right. I used the word right. moderate. We yeah. We became moderate because right. basically I was more moderate mm-hmm. than dispensational, and then previous to me though it was, it was traditionally mm-hmm. dispensational, and um, and so just thinking it through through that as I'm approaching Matthew 24 and just wrestling through things. In my own mind, even as I went through um, two two things in systematic theology, both under the heading eschatology, we we delved into the kingdom of yes. God. Spent a long time in that. I spent a long time with that. That's because I was spending a long yeah. time with that, and I was trying to wrap my mind around certain things. Well, and I think like how you you pointed out in that, like that's actually like the key point to understand. Yeah. That determines where you kind of land eschatologically. Right, because well, well, when you talk about premillennial. All millennial, post millennial. You're talking about the kingdom, mm-hmm. essentially, or an aspect of the kingdom, Christ's return and establishment of a kingdom, right. and what you mean by that. Right. And that's really where a lot of this eschatology hinges on what right. you're gonna where you're gonna land. So I was wanting to wrap my mind around some of those things uh, again, and I have, you know, I wasn't a rookie to eschatology. <laughs> I mean, I I had right. Formal seminary training. I had a class in seminary called premillennial dispensationalism. Mm. Right? I had systematic theology, and I've had to construct two doctrinal statements, both with, mm. well, especially the second one, fairly detailed um, uh, eschatological beliefs in there. And so, uh, and yet, still, I would, I, I always came to this point where I said, I think this is what I see, mm-hmm. and I think I, I adhere to this. Mm-hmm. And there were some points, like when I was discovering things that. And this is back when I'm developing those. I became kind of like a more ardent, like yeah. I would def- I would fight to defend this. Cage fake. stage? Cage stage, yeah. uh, not cage stage Calvinism, but cage stage cage. dispensationalism or <laughs> yeah, whatever. I yeah. don't know. But over time, as I as I began analyzing them again and again, and again uh, I'm thinking that I, I adhere to those, but yet I have a much more... Uh, gracious understanding mm-hmm. of why other people yeah. don't hold it right and then have come to the conclusion that i don't think this is a fundamental of our faith right. where you land in and those positions mm-hmm. are not fundamental yeah and so um and and i fear that in maybe at our church though i wasn't here past 10 years ago mm-hmm. right i only know what i hear from people that were here uh, that I fear in our church and other circles, it could be that that view of end times ev- events, what's going to happen leading up to the, to Christ, your view of the millennium, your view mm-hmm. of the tribulation period, uh, your view of the book of Revelation became a fundamental right. to where for some like th- this is an issue of we won't we can't fellowship with somebody that holds a different view or y- you say things about them like, well, they're teaching false teaching right. uh, or whatever it is. And I'm like, that certainly can't be the case. And I, and I, and we know that for a number of reasons that I, I can talk about in a minute. So anyway, all of that in my mind and heart, as I'm coming into Matthew 24 and 25 mm-hmm. created some angst. Yeah. And, um, because Matthew 24, depending on your view of it, yes, deals with the return of Christ and some things, events, and characterizations of the age, and um, the the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of by Daniel, 
that would tie into our view of the ones you view of the 70 weeks of Daniel and mm-hmm. the, the 70th week, all those things. And so that that's where um, I think the Lord just led me as I was preparing my message. It As it often does, my mess, my Sunday message took on a different shape by hmm. Friday than what I had intended it to take on yeah. earlier in the week. Hmm. And it, and I, f- I have found that when I'm wrestling with something, uh, in that the Lord just won't give me like this peace about what I'm going to speak about. Mm. It almost, I, it feels like, and this is very subjective, but it feels like he's, he's making me keep look at, looking yeah. at something until he unfolds for me what he wanted me to share for our congregation. Mm. And I, and I'm not, I'm not claiming any direct revelation here. I'm just saying like, I, it's, I sense that God leads me in a certain yeah. direction for the good of our people yeah. and for my own good. And I think that's what happened for Sunday. Hmm. So in essence, this was just an introductory message to chapters 24 and 25. And uh, I gave various historic interpretations of how people approach those verses, especially when he talks about, you know, uh, the things that are going to happen until his return and the abomination, desolation, all those and I shared those various interpretations. Some people view it as everything was fulfilled in the past, uh, in AD 70. Right. Uh, even that would be called the preterist, right? The preterist view, and a lot of all millennialists hold this view. Even the coming of Christ there, they have an interpretation of that, that they say, you know, um, that happened. Right. As he assumed his role as the Son of Man, you know, prophesied about by Daniel. And they, very creative. There's but, also, like, partial preterists. Right, that right. believe that some of those things were fulfilled in eighty seventy, and exactly. other parts were not. Exactly. Okay. So that's what I, I just kind of presented those generally, and yeah. people can listen to the message if they want sure. to on that. Uh, but with all of that, then I came to the point, like I said, with our with our eschatology, which is the doctrine of end times. Okay, we need we need to draw humble conclusions. Yes, and we need to be able to admit that there could be things we've missed. Could be things we're misinterpreting, connections we didn't make correctly, right? To where there may be aspects of our eschatology that are are off, misguided, or wrong, and in fundamentalist circles or in post-fundamentalist circles, what I just said right there mm-hmm. is can put people off a little bit. Right? They're like, "Wait a minute, we got to be right on everything," right. you know? And this is biblical truth, and I've come to this conclusion, and how can anybody see it different? And so um, I had a little bit of that thought, even as I'm preaching and thinking, uh, you know, what, well, how are, uh, how are people going to respond to this? Right. And in the people that talked to me were overwhelmingly positive. Uh, we yeah. have a great church right, right now. They're just, there's just humility when it comes to the mm-hmm. scriptures. There's um, a desire l- to learn, a desire to learn. Yeah. And I, I, so our church is just the bomb with that kind of stuff. And is we, we've got this great setup right now. Um, but, uh, I don't know some, and some may struggle yeah. and they just wouldn't have said anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because this is what they've been taught in eschatology. Mm-hmm. They're firm in it. They mm-hmm. look at it and they say, I'm confident in this. And that's where I don't want to be misunderstood here. Cause, um, what I said is with eschatology and maybe other areas of doctrine I'll talk about in a minute, we draw these humble conclusions, but I want to emphasize on this podcast that we can and should draw conclusions. Yes. 
And I, I feel like I did that in the service. Like mm-hmm. God doesn't want us to just throw up our hands and say it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to be pursuing that truth and then draw humble conclusions and um, and and say this is what we think is going to happen. Right. Right. And that's okay. That's yeah. not being proud or arrogant. It is if you have biblical reasoning, you know what the what your opponents are saying, um, and and you can you can reason your point and that and you you just say this is what I think is gonna happen. But in, in eschatology I think it's important to say, I think this is how this yeah. will play out. Because again, we don't want to we don't want to be overly dogmatic where the scriptures are less clear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Does that all make sense? Makes sense. So that leads kind of to the question that I was going to address today. And this is not a question new to Calvary Church or to us. Uh, It's not new to church history in general. It's really this. What are are the essential things Mm. that a Christian must adhere to? I mean, what or are there things that are there doctrines where we say, no, on this, we cannot agree to disagree. Right. We all have to land on the same page here. Yeah. And that that has been the, you know, the kind of the historical discussion surrounding the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. OK. And um, and the fundamentals would be, I guess, by definition, things that are fundamental to the Christian faith that if you take away it's no longer the Christian faith. Right. It's right. no longer the Christian You take faith. away the virgin birth, the deity of Christ. Right. You don't have Christianity anymore. That's right. Yeah. So so much has been said about this and written in that. And I, I think like it's not my purpose to flesh all that out today. We right. couldn't in a little podcast. So much of what I'm gonna say is is uh is gonna be oversimplified, completely oversimplified. And I mean you could go on in each of these and you'd have to really say, but what about this and what about that, right? If we were to do that, it'd be like a Dan Carlin three-hour podcast. Right, and we don't want to do that because no. there's nobody that loves us enough to listen to <laughs> Even us. Even our three. wives. I know. They don't <laughs> listen that. to the 30-minute podcast that we do, <laughs> know, much less three-hour one. Especially our wives. Yeah. If we could <laughs> hope to get them to listen to this one, I don't know. So, and then this plays into with with church membership, and we like to just hmm. we, remember our podcast. We really want to focus on our congregation. Yep. We're not going to debate what they're going to do out in greater Christianity. We're talking about our local church, right. and this this plays a role in church membership. In other words, hmm. what would somebody have to believe, or how do we determine what somebody would have to believe and affirm in order to join in membership with our congregation? Okay, the answer to that question used to be the doctrinal statement. Mm-hmm. So the entire doctrinal statement, a person would sign saying, yeah. I adhere to this. Um, I happen to know for a fact that there were people who would sign that document and didn't adhere to every part of the Like they didn't statement. believe it all. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I just know that for a fact. Um, so they're lying. It, it could be, yeah. or they could just be, it could have just been, yeah, I'm assuming everything's great here. And they, yeah, you know, that's true. Just, it wasn't as important to them. I, we'll assume the best on that yeah. or whatever. Or maybe I just know it because I, I had had, I have further conversations with people that I know is in disagreement with the, <laughs> the doctrinal statement itself. And it's like, well, then you clearly didn't right. believe this, but they may not have put the, 
two and two together. Sure. I'm, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Yeah, neither was I. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> so, um, so how do we do that then? How do we work through that? Um, what has everybody got to be on the same page about? And what can we ad- agree to disagree? Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make it clear that at Calvary, our doctrinal statement is there to say what we officially hold to, mm-hmm. the conclusions we've drawn in theology mm-hmm. about the main, main issues. Mm-hmm. And if you come to Calvary, that's the perspective you should expect to hear. Right. So that if you come into Calvary with a different perspective on something, um, you it's on you to just accept what's being taught and not cause division. Right. It would be wrong to come into any church where you know what their official doctrine is and you're thinking, well, I'll get them to change it or I'll try to, I'll just, you know, tell people behind the scenes I don't agree or whatever. You shouldn't be doing that. Mm -mm. Um, You're kind of accepting it. But, but what, what would people have to believe in things? And I, and how do we determine what are fundamentals? And, and so again, this is a very oversimplified thing, but I have four. Okay. Really um, things as I think about it that, that, make something more fundamental than not. Okay. And if you could just picture it like on a chart, like on the far right of the chart is absolutely fundamental. We're dogmatic mm. on this. You have to believe it. And on the far left would be not, not at all. Yeah. Really. And, and it's, we might teach it, but it's not at all. And somewhere in there, but like the further you move to the right, the more essential this mm-hmm. is. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, um, doctrines and teaching that have to do with scriptural integrity. Yeah. So the nature of the Bible itself, okay? So these would be things like inspiration of scriptures. Second Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by right. God. And we believe all scripture means it's all in its whole, mm-hmm. verbally inspired. And verbal inspiration, which means even the very words, like every word is important, down to, as Jesus talks about, the little... um, The jot and tittle. Jot and tittle, yeah. Like the little swishes on the letters of Mm -hmm. a Hebrew word will come from God. Right. Okay? So we, I think, inspiration, anything that has to do, inerrancy in the original writings, um, authority of Scripture... Those things are fundamental, right? And they speak to the the integrity of Scripture itself, the of of God's words. If you were to deny the authority of Scripture, just for example, you're not going to be a very good Christian, right? You're like you're not submitting yourself to the Word of God. You're gonna I'm gonna do my own thing. Well, you're not a Christian. That's right. Yeah. So to to deny something as fundamental as that, again, uh, doesn't reflect what you say you believe. That's right. Because in uh, when Paul was writing First Corinthians. And in chapter 14, this caught me the other day because this was our scripture reading for mm. Sunday, and I actually thought about it up there. He said, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Mm. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. See, mm. Paul knew he was writing from the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And Peter even referred to Paul's writings as scripture. So mm. here scripture is being added to the word of God, and anybody that disagrees with that is unrecognized yeah. right mm-hmm. it's like that uh, john said something very similar he said we are from god whoever knows god listens to us and the we and the us here i think of the app uh, john and the other apostles those with unique authority from christ right. right whoever is not from god does not listen to us 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of yeah. error. So in other words, even they were in the New Testament recognizing what they said, what they were writing, carried the authority of Christ. Mm. It was the word of God, and it would be treated in the same way that both John and Paul understood you would treat the Old Testament yeah. having come yeah. from God. Mm. So anybody that denies the scriptural integrity, inspiration, inerrancy, this is... Uh, this is a, 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 f- a fundamental that we can't do. And with it being uh, Reformation week and Reformation Sunday being this week on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, um, think about uh, one of the great principles that came out of the Reformation, Scripture alone. Mm. And the reason they had to make that that came out of the Reformation is because the Roman Catholic Church would have agreed what I just said about the Scriptures. Yeah. But they would also say, that the church decrees and doctrines um, and councils and the popes, their word carried the same authority. Right. Right. So, so on that basis alone, uh, our view of scripture and scriptural integrity as scripture alone, no, is the word of God. Hmm. We can't already fellowship in that way with Roman Catholic people. All right. Because that's a fundamental to us. Okay, and we have to say no to Roman Catholic. I wouldn't let a priest come here and preach a sermon Mm-mm. or a, a practicing Catholic come here and just say, hey, can I join your church because I like the music and I yeah. like this. It's like you would have to adhere to our doctrine of Scripture. Mm. That's fundamental. Mm. Okay, so um, that's when anything that it would attack the nature of Scripture or disagree with uh, the historic understanding of what scripture is where mm. it comes from its authority and inerrancy in that okay that's a fundamental the second one i would say is anything with saving necessity mm. from scripture okay what does scripture say is necessary for salvation or the nature of salvation itself yeah so here again you can draw into that the reformation principles salvation is by grace alone right right in christ alone uh, or faith alone in Christ alone, and um, and this was very important to Paul. He said in Galatians one, anything that had to do with the gospel, he told them. He said, "I'm so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Mm. Not that there is a di- another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ." But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Hmm. To Paul, the the pure gospel of Christ would be a fundamental of the faith that if you believed anything different than Paul's understanding of the gospel, then that is grounds of Hmm biblical separation it's that important and um in the whole context of galatians of course it was the judaizers who said yeah faith in christ plus Plus something else something else yeah well that's roman catholicism yeah galatians is just the 2000 year ago (laughs) reformation (laughs) teaching against the roman catholic church you know what i think is interesting too with thinking about the the necessity of the gospel and issues related to that, it actually leaves a lot of things out that we see very clearly in scripture, you know, like uh, election in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. You can hold to a different understanding of that. And again, yeah. I think you're wrong because of how scripture speaks so clearly to that. Right. But you could be a Christian 
Yeah. Right. You still believe in the vicarious work of Jesus Christ on your behalf that you're you receive that by grace through faith alone. That's yeah. all you need. That's right. Um, so that really what that does, I think, is it broadens in a lot of ways those who can That's fellowship right. and participate. Because and you can like that. that an election's a good good uh, one on that. Because I think the doctrine of election is clear as well. Yeah. I think that God chose before the foundation of the world the ones he's going to save. Right. Okay. But um but yet someone can believe the pure gospel that I am saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ yep. alone. It's his works, not mine. And yet disagree on that area mm-hmm. of election mm-hmm. and still be saved. Because right. if you think about it, if we're, what we're saying under this heading of the gospel, saving necessity, what does one need to do, say, believe, think, have in order to be saved? Mm-hmm. And if it, you, you can't believe simultaneously that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, or Christ alone, and believe that I'm saved by faith with my works. Yeah. Like I'm adding to it. Right. You can't have those two things. Right. And so that's why, while we're putting out the book on Sunday, or actually it'd be the following Sunday, but it's for the book of the month for uh, November, is R.C. Sproul's Faith Alone. Hmm. And he's battling in that, this whole idea that uh, this was going on, I think, in the 70s and 80s, the Catholics and mm-hmm. and, and uh, Protestants together, evangelicals together, yeah. and like, hey, you know what? We're pretty close. Yeah. And he's like, wait a minute, what do you mean we're pretty mm-hmm. close? And R.C. Sproul, being a, really an expert on the Reformation, mm-hmm. the key issues behind it, was saying this is exactly what they fought for because we're not close. You're either saved in this way or that way. Yeah, you, it can't be both. This is a gospel. This is a uh, gospel issue, and therefore, if they disagree with the pure gospel of Christ as our only hope of salvation, and through faith in Him alone are we justified, then you can't. Right. You know, if you're working to be justified in the end, then you're obviously not resting and trusting in Christ right. alone. Yep. Okay. So, uh, it's it's really uh, anything that has to do with saving necessity. What lands me in? heaven yeah. or yeah. why would I get to have is an essential yeah. and we need people to be on the same page about that. And then, um, the third thing I put here is scriptural clarity. Hmm. So we have scriptural integrity, script, uh, saving necessity and scriptural clarity. I think where the scriptures are more and more clear. And by that, I'll talk about this in a minute, less and less various opinions on sure. something. Sure, yes. Then if it's just clear on it, that should be in the realm of what we have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. So there only being one God mm-hmm. who created everything. Yeah. Right? Um, things where it's very clear, like it's very clear that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah. It's very clear, you know, in the Bible you know, that uh, uh, sin had to be atoned mm. for and that Christ died for our sins. The nature and, of sin. Yeah, we could just pervasiveness. like... It's pervasive. I mean, we could just, we could go on and on with mm-hmm. that. But there are just some things, if the Bible says it clearly, we don't argue right. with it, right? And that could be really an unending list that we could give here. Yeah. But that, again, just ties back into that, I think, the scriptural integrity maybe a little bit. So those two might have some overlap. 1A, 1B. Yeah, and scriptural clarity being where it is just very clear. That's what we Mm. adhere to. And that becomes important in eschatology. Yeah. 
because when I read through Matthew 24, there are certain things and 25 that nobody would argue with. Mm -hmm. So like the fact that Christ will return in the end right? and he will judge Mm. the living and the dead. He will, you know, um, that most would not argue with the fact that some go into everlasting life and others go into everlasting Mm -hmm. punishment. The only reason I say some, most would not, there are some Christians that have held to an annihilationist view that there is no hell. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you knew this. Or, I just learned this not too long ago. John Stott. Was yeah, one I didn't of those. know that. Who I I really like John Stott. I know <laughs> he's <laughs> really. phenomenal, but he he's came to this annihilationist view. Now I think, and this is way off. Most annihilationists do believe that there is hell for a time, right? Mm-hmm. They suffer for a time and then yeah. they're annihilated, right? Upon yeah. death, right? They're actually, or is that? Even I thought they die and, the and then they suffer for okay. a while Could and be. then they're annihilated. Could yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't. But I don't know. I've not investigated it enough because I don't see it anywhere in scripture. Right. Exactly. So, but I'm I'm throwing that out as an you know just yes. as the example. But it's like where we see God talking very clearly to us, we just hold to those. Yeah. Okay. And um, hold to those things, and that, and that leads me to the last one. That's church history. Hmm. Church history is very instructional for hmm. us here. When it really comes to our fundamentals that we just have to agree on. Mm-hmm. We look back and we say, what are the things that the church almost from the beginning held to mm. taught mm-hmm. that the church held to throughout 2000 years? Yeah. I mean, with the exception of, well, even within the Roman Catholic church, mm. there was a proper understanding of uh, the Trinity. Yeah or the person of Christ, or the return of Christ. Hmm. All of these, some of the, a lot of these things that there was a, uh, that the resurrection. Yeah. Uh, there, there was, there were things throughout church history that have just been held to. But then, um, if you look back, even at historic doctrinal statements, all the way back to the Apostles' Creed and other things, mm-hmm. these were, these things have been adhered to throughout church history. Okay. To where there, yes, there have been times where maybe they were debated. Yeah. The church hadn't even thought about it. And somebody comes up with some heresy, which is often how right. theology gets fleshed out, fleshed out, yeah. gets solidified. Is there was a heresy, then a bunch of smart guys, theologians get together and they they hash this out, and then they come to a conclusion. You know, those yeah. are some of the well known councils yeah. of the past and stuff. And then you have the confessions of faith. Hmm that are developed, especially at the time of the Reformation period and on, mm-hmm. uh, that you can find distinctions in those mm-hmm. of things, but you find similarities. Yeah. And I love reading those. Yeah. I love like going through some of those and I'm like, man, we believe this. I yeah. believe this. I I have some letters of the uh, some of the early church writings mm. and uh, what they would call the church fathers and such. And you read those and the things that they say that, we still believe this day I find so exciting. Yeah. Like there was this trail of continuity coming mm. from the scriptures from then till now. Yeah. And we can hold those, yeah. you know, very strongly. Mm. And, um, and so what we did at Calvary, and I think we've talked about this before. I'll just bring it up now. Well, one, one just comment on your, on your point there about church history. Cause I think there's a, there's a, a disconnect in those of us who are like independent churches. Yeah. Right, that we we sometimes poo poo church history in a right, sense because right. 
we look at it and we go, well, that's what the Catholics do, right? Like they, they're they just uh, holding to their traditions and their history, and they've rejected the Word of God. We don't want to be like that. But yet we can't negate the fact that we do stand on the discoveries and the conclusions of others uh, that were rightly drawn about the Scriptures. And so in some sense we're removed from that because we don't see ourselves in a tradition in the sense of a denomination. Yep. We don't hold to, and some people, you know, a specific... Uh, Oh, confessional statement like right. the London Baptist or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yet we still we do see ourselves in this same vein of people. That's and right. It's important. Yeah, and I think especially if if we're talking about eschatology, especially. Yeah. It it is important to understand that when we, if if you're a moderate dispensational or a, or a traditional dispensationalist or whatever, understanding that things like the seven year tribulation mm-hmm. period the pre-wrath rapture, you know, or the pre, not pre-wrath, but pre-tribulation rapture. These types of things were, are pretty much brand new in church history. Relatively new theological discoveries. That doesn't make, mean that they're wrong. That's right. And I think you've made this point before, you know, when you're in the period of the Reformation, you're wrestling over the nature of the gospel, Mm -hmm. an issue like the time of Christ's return and how it's going to unfold is kind of a secondary that's right. Point. Yeah. So there, I think there's reason that some of these things have not been as fleshed out right. until more recent. But that also puts them into perspective in terms of the weight. That's right. With which we should. And I would them. say also, it, it puts them in perspective, and it also should give us some caution to say, okay, because what you were alluding to, as I've said, especially in the time of the Reformation on, so 1500s and on, the originally the issues were. Bibliology, mm-hmm. the doctrine of the Bible, mm-hmm. like we're talking about scripture alone, mm-hmm. and soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Mm-hmm. They weren't arguing about the nature of the Trinity then mm-hmm. or anything. They, they were arguing about those two things and coming to conclusions. Right. Then it got fleshed out even further into ecclesiology and the yeah. doctrine of the church yeah. and structure of the church. Right. And tying into things like baptism. Yep. Okay, because, you know, Baptists really weren't emergent. They began a little bit with the Anabaptists there in their Mm -hmm. Reformation period and then then grew out of that more uh, in the 17th century. And that's so ecclesiology and and Baptists versus uh, Pado-Baptists and such. And those things are all getting fleshed out. And in the meantime, the whole time they're basically saying like, you know, Jesus returns in the end and it it works out. (laughs) And you had guys like John Calvin who, to my knowledge, didn't write or speak much about the book of Revelation. And I came across something at one time, I couldn't find it now, so I can't quote it Mm. verbatim, but it's something like he was asked about, why don't you write on or speak on Revelation? He said something effective, because I don't understand it. Mm. But they weren't giving a whole lot of time to their eschatology, so it makes sense that that starts developing. However, what we have to understand is, eschatology may continue to develop a little bit. So in other words... Um, just because Schofield uh, came up with these things doesn't mean other men that saw some of those kind of principles of interpreting Scripture and a future for Israel and different things can't continue to mold and shape that mm-hmm. to where I don't have to believe everything right. Charles Ryrie t- teaches right. in his study Bible. Right. And I don't have to, uh, you know, hold to these other great, theologians, Walvard and others that are well-known in those circles, it could be that we keep 
growing right. in our understanding of eschatology. Well, it, it's not like your theology is in a locked box. You right. get to a certain point and it's completed and you lock it away and then you just have to defend that forever. Because mm-hmm. if you do, you're in real serious danger. Right. Right. Certain areas. Certain areas. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm speaking in terms of eschatology. Not, right. not the, the things like we've already that talked about. That have been about. settled forever. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Not those things. But issues like eschatology, and maybe this is going way off the beaten horse, or no, that doesn't even make sense. Way off the path. <laughs> and I'm going to beat the horse off right. the path. Right. Um, but but like with with issues of eschatology, if you're so clearly settled in something and you cannot see the validity of another argument, you mm-hmm. probably haven't actually seriously studied some of the other arguments or even like poked holes at your own. That's right. You know, because there's holes in every argument. Yes. Yeah, because I that's what I like to do. I like to answer my own objections. Yes. I like to think of what other people are objecting. When I'm studying something, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm thinking about it in terms of teaching this. Yes. So I want to anticipate right. issues that are going to come up. But I think with, with eschatology, you know, as I look at Ephesians 4, the church is going to be growing in knowledge and maturity into Christ-likeness. Right. And there's a way to view that as in the local church, Ephesians 4 in the local church, but also in the church historical yeah. and universal yeah. it grows in its knowledge and understanding of things so in eschatology especially the doctrine of last things let's let's have our our humble conclusions let's have our timelines and stuff but hold them incredibly loose yes. and be willing to adapt yeah. our thinking as we get more insight right in what i just said right there and what you're saying and same thing is troublesome for some. Yes. Because they could worry about Jess and, who's Jess yes. and Graham. They're coming to change the theology and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that. No. I'm saying that there may be elements of the particulars of our eschatology that we could maybe come to the conclusion, like, I used to see it this way, but not anymore. All right. I was listening to a very conservative preacher that I like to listen to, and he was preaching in Matthew 24, and he had been at this church for decades at this point. And he said, the first time I taught this to you, here's how I outlined this. Okay. He's like, I no longer hold to that. Hmm. And here's why. Hmm. And so he changed the way his structure of it. I personally think he, think he went in the wrong direction, but at any rate. Right. <laughs> so, but he, okay. So he changed his structure in it and it didn't alter their whole eschatological right. outlook or anything. It's just that he came to a better understanding of a very, very challenging and debated passage of Scripture in his own personal study. Yep. And um, I think we just need to be willing to do that uh, with with these areas that are just less clear and in church history have been been debated. Yeah. So I was just going to end with just talking about the core beliefs of Calvary Bible Church. I won't read them all, but you can look at those and what we decided to do a number of years ago for those interested in joining is that you, we have our entire doctrinal statement available for you um, in our constitution. You read through that and you're supposed to read through that. That tells you what that, that informs you what we teach in general. So we come to certain passages. That's where we're, where we're going to land. However, in order to join, we put down these core beliefs and so, because we don't think it's reasonable to have people that have been going to other churches, backgrounds, whether in town or moving here or whatever, and been believers for years to 
all of a sudden do an about face in a certain particular area that is non-fundamental in every way that we've just described what is important with fundamentals. And so these give more of those historic fundamentals, and it's called the Core Beliefs of Calvary Bible Church, and you can have access to that and read those. If you've joined within the last, I'd say, five years, you were supposed to have read those, and you actually (laughs) sign that you're in agreement with those. That's different than what you signed for the Constitution, that you just Mm. read it and that you'll abide by it, Mm. and you're going to not cause division where Mm. you have disagreement. Yeah. And in some of those secondary things, if a if a if a member comes to the point where they're like, just I've just become so convinced in a certain area that the that the church doesn't teach, yeah, and I've met with a pastor and I just I'm not satisfied with the resp- his view on this or whatever, mm-hmm. then I think that that would be if you would if it's bothering you mm-hmm. in the sense of it's interrupting your peace and mm-hmm. joy when you hear it taught or whatever, mm-hmm. then that is grounds for finding another mm-hmm. congregation that maybe mm-hmm. teaches that. I think you should be slow to do that. Yeah. I think you should really question the importance of where what you're yeah. holding to, how often it's taught, the importance of it here at Calvary. Right. You know, all of those things and give your pastors time, be teachable, give your pastors time to try to teach you their perspective. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to adhere to what we say. Yeah. But then uh, you 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 can um, you don't want to try to start a reformation right. here. You just want post to go your, find another. Post your 95 theses on our door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Or email them yeah, out to everybody yeah, or right. whatever. Exactly. And uh, anyway, so I just wanted to be clear on that. I, I, I want to be clear ending it with this. We, we, where the scriptures are clear, where there's been church history record, where it's of saving necessity and scriptural integrity, we are dogmatic. Yeah. Okay, that means that we say this is the truth. This is it. Yep. You know, if you don't believe this, then you know you well you can't join. Mm-hmm. You can't. Um, you know, we think you're a a, a, a professing believer that's in grave error. Mm-hmm. Okay, however that works out right. in daily practice, and then um, and yet where this where all those things are less clear. We hold with humility, yeah. but we still draw humble conclusions and we keep pursuing truth yep. and we let the Bible tell us what is true and not. Yeah. That's why when I'm approaching Matthew 24, I don't want to be approaching this with my eschatological system already there mm-hmm. and then going into it and making it say, making it fit with right. my system. Right. That's what some all millennialists are doing. Mm-hmm. That's what some premillennialists yep. are doing. And in dispensational people, when they go in there, they're taking passages, I think, in there and having to force them. They're getting, if you have to get too creative yeah. with your interpretation, you're probably off track. Yeah. And if it isn't what the original readers would have been fairly plain to them of what mm-hmm. it was being talked about, then you might be off track. Yeah. You know, and so we don't want to fit, we don't want to take scripture and make it fit into our system. Yeah. We want to make sure we're taking each text on its own merit and and trying to figure out the the meaning that way. Yeah, cool. Well, this has been a fun and fruitful conversation, and I think helpful for for everyone who's listening, who's part of our church, who's wondering where we land on some of these issues and how we we approach them. And so we hope that's been helpful. We love to hear from our listeners. If you're part of our church, just come up and talk to us on a Sunday morning. Send us a text. Give us a phone call. If you're outside the church, email us at our ever-overflowing email inbox, thecalvarycast at gmail.com. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.